Okay. In this uh, time frame, I have always given people the opportunity to ask questions. You can ask a question, write it down on a piece of paper, and I'll try to answer it from the Bible. And something has happened that uh, really I have to hold myself to my promises. And somebody asked a question, but it wasn't any of you. We have people who listen online and are listening. And so on our website, we got a question for me to answer. And it was, wasn't just a question, but it was the book of Jude, which if you open your Bibles, it's the last book before Revelations. It's just one chapter, 25 verses. And uh, the question that came was, uh, will you talk about this as it applies to today's world? It seems like uh, this really applies to the world that we live in. And it certainly has application to that. And so uh, it's going to take me a couple weeks, uh, but we're going to go through this little one chapter here as an answer to a question. Some of you remember Ken Isgreg. Uh, Ken Isgreg was the one that sent the message and said, hey, answer, talk about this. <laughs> and so this is the best forum for me to do that. So we're going to look at the book of Jude today uh, very intently and see if we can figure out, first of all, what it says. You always start when you're reading the Bible, what does it say? All right, we want to know what the point was. What does it say? And then you go from there, how does it apply? And so we're going to look first at what it says, and then next week we'll go on to how it applies. So we'll do just over half of it today, and then the other half next week. Jude, the book of Jude, beginning at the first verse. Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ, the brother of James, and them that are sanctified by God the Father, preserved in Jesus Christ, and called mercy unto you, peace and love be multiplied. That's the way everybody started a letter in those days. He said, it's me, here's who I am, and uh, we want good things to happen to you. And when we write our letters, we say, hello, how are you? All right, that's how we start. Dear so-and-so. Well, this is how they started. And Jude is the author of this, and his name <laughs> never comes up as Jude except for in this book. But if you look at Matthew, if you want to look there, 13, we meet this fella, who he is. In Matthew 13, in verse number 55, uh, we say this. Uh, this was in Nazareth. Jesus got up, preached a great sermon. They said, we hate your sermon. We're going to throw you over a cliff. Nice thing to say, all right? Mm -hmm. I hope you never decide that. Uh, and so in verse 54, when Jesus came to his own country, he taught them in their synagogue, insomuch that they were astonished and said, Whence has this man this wisdom and these mighty works? Is this not the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary and his brethren James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? All right, now James, we know, was the half-brother of Jesus. That is, his father was Joseph and his mother was Mary. You know, Jesus, the oldest one, his father was not Joseph. All right, his father was God. And so uh, he calls himself the brother of James, and there's a book in the Bible James wrote. 
And James was the leader of the church. That's Jesus' half-brother. He became the leader of the church and wrote a book of the Bible. This is another one of those brothers, Judas. We just read his name, Jude, the same name. And so he is half-brother to Jesus, too. So two of Jesus' half-brothers grew up to write the Bible, writing, adding to the Bible. That's a pretty good house to grow up in. Right? <laughs> it's a good house to grow up in when Jesus the Messiah is your half-brother. Pay attention to him. Now, that passage I just read, they, they were, they were kind of worried about him. And they said, uh, later on, they say, we got to go get him. He's crazy. That's what his brother said. He's out there preaching like he knows what he's talking about. Go get him. Bring him home. All right? And that's when Jesus said, you got to love me more than your family. That's what I quoted today. So here's the brother, half-brother of Jesus. He's writing a letter, and he's concerned about something. Verse 3, Beloved, I gave all diligence to write to you of the common salvation. I want to talk about Jesus, my half-brother, and what he did for us. It was needful for me to write to you, exhort you, you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. All right, he says, it's what I want you to do. You've got to defend the faith. You've got to know enough about the faith so that you can defend it. I want you to have a grasp of it. I'm going to write to you about salvation. Then I got to think, well, you really got to stand up for what you believe. And that's why part of this is so applicable to our day and age. We got to stand up for what we believe. Now, something's happened in the early church, and he's going to explain how he views it and how we need to be watchful of this, too. Verse 4, there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness, designing, denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. All right, so he says, there's people that are coming in. They, are, they join you. They join your church. They meet with you in the services, but they do not believe. Do not believe. As a matter of fact, they come in secretly, they keep their mouth shut, and they come into the church and begin to partake of the services and so forth. And if you got right down and asked them, they'd say, well, I don't really believe in Jesus. That's what they would say. And so he said, I want to warn you. You've got to defend the faith. You've got to be careful because there's people coming in who really don't believe. And now he's going to teach us how these people think. These people who rejected God but joined to be part of the thing. And he's a very good historian. And in those days they needed historians because everything was brand new. Say, what's Jesus doing? Well, I don't know. I can hardly figure it out. Well, this is what the path happened. And it's going to happen again in the future. So they needed good historians. He obviously is a very good one, as we will soon see. All right? <clears throat> Verse 11. 
I will therefore put you in remembrance. I'm going to remind you of something you might have forgot. Though you once knew this, how that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterwards destroyed them that not believed. You say, okay, Moses brought the children of Israel out of Egypt. And he said, there they are, God's chosen people. Beautiful, we're all out there set free following Moses in the desert. There were some of those people who didn't believe. They didn't accept God. They were part of the group. They came out, joined with the group, followed them through the desert, and so on. But they didn't really believe. And so he said, I'm giving you an example. And he's going to give us lots of examples of how these people think they were part of the group. But inside, they did not agree. All right? So now we're going to have some examples. Verse 6. And the angels has kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation. He has reserved an everlasting change under darkness unto the judgment of the great day. It's the only place in the Bible where we see this. And sometimes I wonder how Jude learned these things, except for God speaking in his ear. He said there are angels who rebelled against God. And God locked him up in chains and in darkness. And they are somewhere restricted in a place, locked up to this day, waiting for the judgment day. They were bad apples, and they uh, rebelled. They rebelled against God. And I'm giving us an example of people who rebelled. And he starts with the angels. And he said, God took these angels who were wicked, particularly wicked, and he, they're locked up somewhere. We say, well, where are they? Well, we're guessing. He's talking about the people who were cast into uh, what was just a place where they were nowhere. And the Bible later <laughs> in Revelation talks about it. A bottomless pit. Calls a place called a bottomless pit. So you'd be in there falling forever. Falling forever in the darkness. Falling forever. And there uh, is how the Bible describes it. He says there are angels who are in this bottomless pit and put there, not allowed to be free to move about like some other angels are. He said, and they're in there because they were desperately wicked. They paid a price. Next example, verse 7. Even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication, going after strange flesh, are set forth for an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. All right, so the second one, he gives us an example Sodom and Gomorrah. And you remember the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, how Lot was there. And there were uh, men, the whole city had become homosexual, violently homosexual, where we get the word sodomy, all right? And uh, that uh, they were rebellious against God through lust. They were going to do whatever they wanted to do. And it was a sexual sin. And he said, sometimes these people come in with that. They don't believe, and that's what they might have in mind. And 
that, my friends, is chillingly true. Uh, and we'll talk about that a little more. Verse 8, likewise, these filthy dreamers defile the flesh, despise dominion, and speak evil of dignitaries. All right, and so uh, they, <coughs> they hate authority. People hate authority. They speak evil of authority. They don't want any authority over them. He said, and they come in with that. And here's how the angels did it, verse 9. Michael, the archangel, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses, durst not bring against him railing accusation, but said, the Lord rebuked thee. Apparently, when Moses died, God was going to bury Moses himself. So he sent the archangel, Michael, I'm going to bury this body out in the wilderness. And the devil said, I'm taking that body. I'm the, mine. I'm taking it. And the archangel Michael, who's a pretty powerful fellow, all right, he's a big shot in heaven, all right. He said, no, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. You can't have it. God said no. It doesn't matter what you say. God said no, the Lord rebuke you. And he didn't say, I'll punch you in the mouth, although he could have. All right, he's pretty powerful. But he said, God said no. I'm burying his body, not you. You can't have it. All right? And so even though you say Michael had enough power to take over, he respects authority. And God is the authority that said we're going to bury Moses in the wilderness. Of course, you understand why. Because if Moses' body ever came back, they'd be worshiping it until today. They'd have preserved his bones and his body and worshiped it forever and ever. He was a pretty astounding fellow, all right? So God said, we can't let his body go back because they'll just go crazy. So God said, we'll bury the body because they can't stop worshiping it. All right, so he did. All right, verse 10. But these speak evil of things that they know not, and what they know naturally as brute beasts and those things, they corrupt themselves. So they defy authority, uh, all right? It may be lust that comes. It may be like the angels, uh, they, they are anti-God, all right? And they hate authority. They despise authority. Now, verse 11. Woe unto them. So these people who behave this way and become a part of your group, Woe unto them, for they have gone in the way of Cain, ran greedily after the arrow of Balaam, and perished in the gainsaying of Korah. So he mentions three more examples. The first one is Cain. All right. The second one is Balaam. Uh, Balaam. And the third one is Korah. We're going to spell with a C there. Korah. And we have three examples of the kind of things whereby people defy God and don't do the right thing. Cain is the first example. Uh, what's going to be true of these people is that given the chance, they refuse to do right. And you remember the story of 
Cain and Abel. They had a sacrifice to bring, and we've taught their sons, you bring a sacrifice and make it on a certain day. And so uh, Cain brought vegetables and fruit that he had grown, and Abel brought a lamb and sacrificed the lamb. And God said to Cain, I don't want your fruit and vegetables. It's going to have to be blood. So you're going to have to go get a lamb, sacrifice a lamb. So that's your choice. He says, if you want to do it, I'll accept you. You don't want to do it, that's your choice. And Cain said, I don't want to. I'm not doing it. I am not going to bring a lamb like my brother Abel did. I'm not my brother Abel. I'll do what I want. I will not bring a lamb. And so he didn't. And so he becomes the first one to refuse, given the opportunity, refuse to do right. And he said, you have to watch these people because giving them an opportunity to do right, they will not do it. They will choose against it. So you need to be watchful of these people. The second one is Balaam. Now Balaam was a prophet of God. And when the children of Israel came out of Egypt, they're traveling through the desert, and they're heading up to the promised land. They're going to go through a place called Moab. And it's the descendants of a guy named Moab who live in that place. And so they look down off their high hills. Here comes a million people. And they say, oh, man, look at all them. We need to curse them. So there's a guy, there's a prophet we know named Balaam. Go get him. Have him come over and curse those people for us. And so they go see Balaam and they say, we want you to curse these people. He said, well, I may not be able to. <laughs> I may not be able to. But maybe God won't let me. And so it says that they came with money, basically. Money. So Balaam has given a choice. Would you do wrong for enough money? If we pay you enough, you should be able to come and curse them. And so he decided, well, I'm not going to do it. <laughs> and then he thought it over. And then he said, well, I'll just ride over there. He got on his donkey and rode over there. And you know the story, right? He's riding on his donkey. There's an angel standing in front of the path. The donkey won't go. Donkey sees the angel and says, I can't go that way. And Balaam says, get going that way. And the donkey says, what are you hitting me for? And the funny part of the story is he spoke back to the donkey. <laughs> so I'm hitting you because I said go that way. That's why I'm hitting you. You know, it should have rung a little bell. And my donkey just talked to me. Maybe something's not right here. So he's kicking the donkey and hitting him. He said, go that way. And then God said, I think I'll open his eyes. And he sees an angel standing with a flaming sword. You come this way, you're dead. Okay, can't do that. But he wanted to do it, and he was called because of money, and he almost did it. In the end, he did something much worse than curse them, but that's another part, all right? Let's go on to the third person. We have the gainsaying of Corey. 
he talks about the gainsaying of Cori. And uh, uh, Korah, as his name is written in the Old Testament, um, gainsaying. That is, if you gainsay, you contradict. Right? Somebody says something, I'm going to gainsay it, I'm going to contradict what you say. And so Cori is an example of these people who gainsay. And the story is an astonishing story. Cory is a priest. He's not the high priest. He's not in the, the high priest family. But he's a priest. He's a member of the tribe of Levi. And he gets together 250 influential people. And they say, we're going up to Moses and tell him what's what. So they go up to Moses and say, look, 250 of us, it's you and your brother Aaron, we're taking over. Not you. We're in charge. Right? And so it is against God's anointing. <coughs> against God's anointing. Moses was chosen by God to lead the children of Israel. Korah says, eh, we'll be the leader, not you. And so Moses cries up to God, and God says, go tell the people, and there's 250 of these men, they're by their tents, and they're making a stand. We're taking over. And God says to Moses, tell all the other people, move away from them. Literally, get away from them. So Moses says to everybody, they're standing in a group over there, get away. Don't stand by them. And they all move away. And Korah stands up and says, we are taking over. And the ground opened. The Bible says the ground opened up. The whole crew of them were sucked into the sand. And then the ground covered them up. And they're all buried alive in one instant. Don't mess with God's anointed. Don't mess with God's anointed. God's chosen somebody. Don't. Don't do it. But it is the nature of these people who sneak into the church to raise their hand against God's anointing. So what do we got? Well, we got angels who defied God, cast into a pit. Sodom and Gomorrah who chose sexual lust over anything else coming in. People who refuse to do right when given a chance. People moved by money and people moving against God's anointed ones. Watch out, verse 12. They are spots in your feast of charity when they feast with you, feeding themselves without fear. All right, he says they're coming, they're eating with you in your church. And they're not afraid because they think they got it made. And then he uses a figurative language, and that's a good way to speak. Sometimes we use figurative language. He says, this is what they are like. They're like clouds, the first thing he says. <coughs> clouds they are without water, carried about of winds. All right, so they are clouds. We see a big cloud come up. And it looks ominous, but there's no rain in the cloud. They're kind of like that. Secondly, trees whose fruit withereth without fruit twice dead, plucked up by the root. So we got a tree. 
nice tree, looks good, not an apple on it. I got trees just like that. Big old trees all standing there. Couldn't find it. There's apple on there this big. I don't even want it. Let some worm have it. It's nothing. So it's uh, trees. They look like a tree with no fruit. They remind you of a tree with no fruit. Uh, verse 13. Raging waves of the sea foaming out their own shame. And when you stand on the ocean, you get a chance to do that. In some places, not every place, but in some place, you'll see these waves really come rolling in. And we used to, as a kid, we were on an island out off of Cape Cod, and we stayed on that island in the summertime. Boy, sometimes the waves really came rolling in. You see these big waves rolling in, and they hit the shore, he said, look at that, look at that. Hits the shore, it's all just foam left. So for all of its power, it hits the shore and it's nothing but foam. And so it's a raging wave. It's a wave that comes up with nothing but a lot of foam. All right. And the last one, he says, uh, they are... Wandering stars to whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. On my way home uh, last night, I think it was, I was driving home after dark and I looked up. The moon was bright, and you know, the moon was bright, and it looked like it fell right out of the moon, a falling star. And I think I'm the only person that saw it. That's why I like falling stars, because I saw it, nobody else did. And here, looked like it fell right out of the moon. There's a falling star, and it blazed beautiful colors just for a second, and it's gone. Some people are like a falling star. He says they blaze hot for a minute, and then just nothing but darkness. It's gone. Nothing but darkness. So he uses these, this, this uh, figurative language way to describe. And what is it? They all say the same thing. Uh, they promise big and deliver nothing. They promise big and they deliver nothing. And so these people, when we be warning about it, we've got to defend our faith. We've got to watch it. There's people who are going to come in who do not believe. They may be anti-God. They may have that lust thing going. They certainly hate authority. They refuse to do right, even given a chance. They will sometimes do everything for money, and they are against the Lord's anointing, and they promise big, and they deliver nothing. So that's the warning he gives us about these people who come in to the church. He said there's people in the congregation who don't believe, therefore, my first advice to you is defend what we believe in. Stand up for it. Make sure you understand it. Make sure you can explain it. Uh, there are going to be attacks from the outside. We expect those attacks. People who are out in the world attack the church. And he said, you've got to watch the ones from inside. Watch the ones from inside. Now, one of the jobs of a pastor that nobody maybe realizes is you're always watching. You never stop watching. 
You are watching everything as much as you can. Now, there will come in people who don't believe. And so what we expect people to come here who don't believe. That's what we want, right? We want people to come in here who don't believe so that by our teaching, by our example, by the word of God, and sometimes by correction, they will change. But be careful because these people have rebellion in their heart. They do not want to change. So we learn to be watchful. And we've seen these things before. I'll give you one example. There's many I could talk about, but this one comes to my mind. I had a guy here, and he came up to me. He said, that's a beautiful woman sitting back here. And I want to get to know her. I said, she's a married man. She's married to a man. And she's a married woman. You leave her alone. Well, he soon went away. Because he was here for the wrong reason. He came here looking to be as Sodom and Gomorrah, or any woman he could find. And he picked one out. And when he said to me, I said, knock it off, buddy. I'm not having it. Not you or anybody. I'm going straight to her and tell her what you said. So she's warned, too. And I did. Right? We are to be watchful. We're told to defend the faith and do these things. So what do we do about all this? Is it possible that these people will come in and be a part? He says, it is possible. So the rest of the chapter, he's going to tell us, here's what you do in response to that. You be careful, be cautious, but here's what you do so that you guard the faith against people who come in, he says, unawares. Continued next week. Thank you. Thank you.